Let's hit it. Hootie Hoot Productions presents the Sports Deli Podcast, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Where we discuss the intersection between race and sports, mental health, leadership, and equality. To find out more about the Sports Deli Podcast, check us out online at thesportsdelipodcast.com. We are starting to have free giveaways. If you hear giveaway anywhere in the podcast, send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com with giveaway in the subject heading and in the body of the email, give us the answer to that podcast's specific question. When you hear someone say, make America great again, the first question you have is, well, when was America great? What I would say about Tom. Brady, yeah. If you don't want to be in this fight, then don't put a make America great hat up in your locker. Silently now, it appears that you are with the other group. Just don't get in the way. Uh, (laughs) Stephen A. Smith is my alter ego. Go somewhere else with that (laughs) (laughs) John, she's roasting your ass. Colin Kaepernick, he's a hero in the same way that John Carlos and Tommy Smith were heroes. And when George Floyd called out to his mother, he called out to all mothers. And I heard his call. So do you have white privilege? Absolutely. Now we have to be a voice as white people. About it. African-American women last year changed the course of this of this nation. Um, women are the backbone, and now we need to support the souls that they stand on. And now whether you're folding laundry, driving, exercising, or cooking, grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the sports deli. Auntie, take us away. Are there better conversations in a locker room or in a barber shop? Locker room. Would you rather play one-on-one with Kobe, MJ, or Obama? Obama. <laughs> oh, I love it. Best college arena you ever played in? Cameron Indoor. Oh, my God. I'll tell you the story about Cameron Indoor. Uh, it's a fascinating story. I basically broke in because it was my only chance <laughs> to go in during Christmas time. It was yeah. the whole campus was closed. Yeah, yeah. I went to the final door around the entire building. And you know better than me, right? It, it yeah. looks like a normal building next yes, to the rec center. Building. Yeah, right. you wouldn't know it. Right. So I broke in and I went in there for 30 minutes and it, all it had was the floodlight from the top, the old school floodlight, the emergency yeah. light shining down in the yeah. D in the middle of the court. And I sat there for a half an hour and I literally didn't move sitting in the, in the seats on the other side from the bleachers where the students are. Yeah. It was just, I just took it all in and it was just, I'm looking like I'm scared out of my mind. I feel like I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> but man, it was a fascinating time to, to yeah. go in there and just look at it and be there and realize the history of it. Oh my God. It was, yeah, I can't imagine. Did you, uh, did you guys lose that game? Hell yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who 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 did you play? Who was on that team for them? Jay Williams, oh uh, shit, Carlo Boozer, Dunleavy, wow. oh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, they were stacked. Man, I'll I'll say they were stacked. Wow, those the, but the fans are so like funny too, right? Like they yeah, do I mean, all kinds of funny shit. Yo, that was the hardest part. We had a guy on our team who wore high socks. Al Fox, right? <laughs> Al Fox wore the high socks and he kept his money in his sock. And somebody said, "Hey, Fox." What is that, a pack of cigarettes you got in your sock? Like, 
Yo, it was hilarious. They heckled him. Up. And, and you know, Al is a tough dude. You know, you talk about a kid from South Central LA, so it didn't bother him all that much. But know. man, I, I I had a good laugh. <laughs> uh, that place was funny, man. And then too, it's a very small place. You've been there, right? So you, it's a very small place. Like Cracker Jack box, yeah. Yeah, and it's very intimate. And you like, are they really gonna get that rowdy in here when you're warming up and then all of a sudden the doors open up and then- Shit's like shaking. Big, yo. That shit is like <laughs> flooding in, right? But people coming in, out, it feels like out of the walls. It's like people showing up from everywhere. So it's pretty Oh my God, part. that's classic. Right. On this 22nd day of Breast Cancer Awareness and Emotional Intelligence Awareness Month, we are proud to welcome the pride of Lincoln Park High School, Chi-Town, and now Skytown, a reference to the Chicago Sky, the WNBA, uh -huh. their first ever WNBA title this year, for those of you who didn't know that, during the WNBA's 25th season, Randy Holcomb. The former San Diego State star played for Steve Fisher, which you'll hear about his conversation with him later about Michael Cage getting drafted in the 2002 NBA draft. He played professionally for more than nine years, including a stint with the Chicago Bulls in 06 for head coach Scotty Skiles, go Sparty, and alongside Mike Sweetney, who was also on our show. He played overseas in a number of different countries, as well as in the CBA, where he was the all-star MVP. In 2006 he also played for the Libyan national team in 2009 he was born the same day as Roger Federer Richard Lewis Asia Wilson and Larry Fitzgerald and in the same year as Lamar Odom Kevin Hart Meta Sanford Artest and Tracy McGrady and we're going to talk about Meta Sanford Artest later as well with regards to mental health he's a businessman and loves to chop it up on clubhouse and different places on various topics. You can find him online at Alfred's house, plural, that's alfredshouse.com, where he sells premium sporting goods and on Instagram at Alfred's house as well. So welcome, man. Way to come get that karma. Like I told you a little earlier, we've had a lot of people on the show. I don't know why people keep coming on the show, but we're, we're honored yeah. to have you here to, to chop it up where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Man, I appreciate you having me, boss. Definitely appreciate that intro. Boy, I forgot some of that stuff, man. I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, How long have you been doing this for? I mean, we started just bullshitting after the murder of George Floyd. We just, we pivoted. Right, 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 right. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Had, had to. I got you. That's what's up. You know, I love hearing you when you're on Clubhouse, whether it's talking about the top high school players of all time, you know, in each state or wh whatever it is, you know, that you think is an important topic to talk about because, uh, you know, we're not going to shut up anymore. We're going to speak up and dribble, right? That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. So uh, we have something in common. So we both played Juco ball. Uh, really? So I've been, yeah, I played at Mesa right here in San okay. Diego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for Hall of Fame coach, uh, Jay Movahall, you know, uh, okay. rest in peace. And, you know, he was friends with, and people don't know this. So he was friends with Hank Egan, and you probably don't know this either. Hank Egan was the coach at USD. And so Hank Egan knew Tark. You know, they were all tied in, all those uh, old white guys. Right. You know, and so, but people also don't know that the people that came out of the University of San Diego, for example, uh, were Popovich, Mike Brown, Musselman, mm -hmm. um, Bernie Bickerstaff. I mean, the, the, nobody even knows that University of San Diego is D1, let alone right. the coaching tree that comes from it. So I just thought that was interesting, even though we're going to talk about San Diego State in a little while. So we both played. You go, did you play for Mike? I did. Mike Miller. I played for Mike Miller. Yeah, he was something. If you didn't shot fake and pass fake on every goddamn possession, he was with his floods, he was pissed. I'll never forget that, man. God, that guy, he was, man, he, he, yeah. he had to make sure you guys were fundamentally sound. I'll never forget that. 
Yeah, Mike Miller was uh Mike Miller is a is a phenomenal coach. I think he's a little underrated or very underrated as a coach. Um, I just think he gets a little bit of a bad rap sometimes uh, for some of the stuff that's happened off the floor. Um, but a great guy. He, he did everything that he told me that he was going to do. He did. Uh, he made sure that he got me through schools, man. So I'll always be indebted to him. Yeah. In fact, I keep up with him. I talk to him on Facebook all the time. Wow, that's that's good. Is he what's he doing out? Mike is. You know what? Mike Miller started a university. Um, really? Yeah. Yes. Like Mike. Mike Miller. <laughs> so let me tell you something about. That's Mike. not something you'll ever hear on this show again. <laughs> Somebody started a university. <laughs> what in the world? But yeah, Mike started a university. Um, uh, I think it's called like Los Angeles, Los Angeles U or something along those lines. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but he wow. started a university. Mike Miller is a guy that figures it out. Uh, he's doing really, really well. He's doing That's really, interesting. Really well. So uh, it's always interesting to me because I'm from Detroit. And so I didn't realize things until later because I was integrated and everybody was just accepting of everybody. So I'm curious, did you do the majority of your uh, time when you grew up in Chicago? And how was that during your childhood? Having people around you that that either were bad influences or good influences so that, you know, you were, people were betting on you and then you were eventually betting on yourself. Yeah. First, I grew up in Chicago, born and raised right there, um, yeah. born on the west side of Chicago at St. Luke Presbyterian. And then we ended up moving to the south side, but my ties are to the west side. My entire family still lives on the west side. Um, so, um, that's where I'm, you know, I'm proud to have come from Chicago in that regard. Um, my parents were both police officers, uh, when I was coming up. Uh, so I had, I had a little bit more than other people did in a, for, for a good while. Um, but at the same time, uncles, cousins, um, a brother were all involved in the underworld. My brother, um, went to jail for murder for 25 years. Um, I got a 25 year sentence. Uh, he went to jail for murder and, and um, uh, multiple uncles who've been in and, in and out of jail. When I was coming up, man, it was, it was a very unique experience that I was getting. So I went to a Catholic school, but my mom made sure that I went to a Baptist church. And then my, you know, my Saturday, Friday, Saturday was spent around you know, drug dealers, drug pushers, drug addicts, alcoholics, and these all family and friends, right? So I was getting a, a heavy dose of a lot of those things. Um, Chicago at that time had this culture where the drug dealers would take care of basketball players, buy them shoes, hang right. out with them, and all that kind of stuff. For me, it was no different. Uh, my closest, some of the people that I'm most fondest to are uh, people who at that particular point in time were in the underworld. Those are people that I still uh, hold in high regard. They taught me a lot about business and business sense. Mm. And um, when you give some, when you give someone your word, you know you live by it or you die by it. You know basically you do everything that you can to make sure that you when you when you say that you're going to do something, you do it. Um, so that was um, those are the fondest memories that I have. Basketball um, came about because I had a cousin. Um, Herman Jordan, who played basketball, mm. and I kind of followed his footsteps. Uh, he was the he was the singular reason because I wanted to be like him mm. um, in that regard. Um, and uh, I ended up growing to be six eight, and before you know it, the ball just kind of ro kept rolling on its own. But I was always most fond of business. I was all, always wanted to 
be in around business, but I did not want to be famous, right? I was not a guy who wanted to be, uh, and that may have hurt my basketball career some because I, I was not a guy who liked to be in front of the camera or who cared about the camera much or who was very egotistical in that regard. Um, I just I just understood, especially coming from Chicago, there's always a smoky room in Chicago or in Detroit where the real deals are happening, where the world is kind of moving, right? Where there's a, there are people who are making decisions and deals that are actually influencing what's going on around us. And that may be a smoky room or that may be a, that may be a uh, place in City Hall. I just understood that right away. In Chicago, Detroit, yeah. uh, New York, you, you know, people from those places just kind of have that feel about them that they, they understand that there's a politics that's at play. And I was always privy to that. Man, that's fascinating. And, you know, it takes uh, a, a strong support system or someone that you admire, like you just talked about. Because I remember Isaiah Thomas being from Chicago. He always talked about his mother. Right. And uh, the African proverb, sticks in a bundle are unbreakable. And he mm -hmm. would always talk about that was one of his mom's favorite African proverbs. And, and uh, how, but how, were you ever tempted? Steli is sponsored by Sport RX, the leader in sport prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com. And don't forget to enter the code DELI10 at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here on the Sports Deli. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that there was a, you know, if you don't, what you see is usually what you become, right? And uh, well, let me yeah. let me ask you this though. So, from a white perspective, right? So, there were drug deals in the bathroom almost every day where I went to high school, right? Like, uh, uh, there were people in my high school that were driving Sterlings. I'm sure the mm -hmm. same kind. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. yeah they and so, but I, I wasn't tempted uh, because I had stability in my home. Mm -hmm. And maybe being white. I don't really know what the answer is, but but I just remember I wasn't scared when I walked in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, yo, what's up, yo? Right. They'd be like, they'd be like what's up, who? Right. You know, they'd right, just be right. doing their thing. It's just like, right. you know, it's that code. Like it's right. like you're not gonna rat anyone out. Just just go about your business. Right, right, right. And so I'm just interested, do, do you because we're trying to get to a place where where not only on this show do we educate people on what used to be and where we're trying to go because there is everything from marginalization to systemic racism that still exists even though obviously life is better than it was 20 years ago in some respects but in many respects it's not in a lot of these spaces it's not right and so i'm just curious do you do you think that um looking back on it now like what would you tell your your younger self if you had to go back again I don't know if, if I would do anything different, to be honest with you. Who I, I think that there's a um, um, there's an education that I received that nobody else did. Like you, you would have to come from where I come from to to get that education. There was no book that was going to teach me, you right. know, to, how to know when somebody was bullshitting me, or when when you know when you just have a gut feeling. Nobody teaches you gut feelings. You just develop those. Right. Um, there was no education to teach me like the. Um, you know, life and death, right? Like those two things are very fleeting, you know, even in, you know, from, you know, from my, from my surroundings, right? I think the thing that kept me out of harm's way was that the people around me understood that I had a chance to be very good um, at, at basketball. Um, my dad's, um, and I'm gonna say this, I probably, I probably wouldn't say this, 
a lot, right? But my, one of my dad's closest friends uh, when I was coming up was a drug dealer, right? In fact, his, the, his closest friends around him were all drug dealers. He just happened to be the police officer. And he was a police officer that wasn't really a police officer. He just, you know, after a while, it just kind of became a job. And he was trying to do all kinds of positive things. But it was, it was not uncommon for me to come home and find, you know, a friend of his that was making, you know, $80,000 a week and $90,000 a week at that particular point in time, <laughs> sitting at our living room table, right? It, it was not, it was, it was not uncommon. What he was doing with them or what relationships, some of these people he just grew up with um, that, and they just remained friends. Um, it was just one of those things where it was, it was not uncommon. And I learned more from those conversations. And I learned too, when I got older that that business mentality that they had is the same business mentality that when I'm sitting in a, in a conference room or a corporate office, it's, it's the same idea and thought process. There's no difference. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I didn't think of this until now. Um, that's why I'm always fascinated by these conversations. So you have someone, uh, your father's a police officer, mm -hmm. your mother's a police officer. Mm -hmm. And so you have someone uh, on the other side sitting at, sitting at the dinner table. Right. Because, you know, there's a code. Right. You know, there's, there's just a certain uh, unspoken, like it's just understood. It's right. not like necessarily other cops are going to rat you out, et cetera, et cetera. It's just like it is what it is. And so what I thought about was politics, mm -hmm. you know, in the traditional sense, because that's a form of politics, if you right. sort of think about it, right? Right. You got to either pick your battles or you, you sort of understand how things are and you overlook certain things. And so it's interesting to me because now that I look at it from that perspective, and now I think about politics, there's politics on the streets, just like there's politics on, te on television. Absolutely. 100%. There's a, that political landscape, the underworld works in junction with the overworld, no matter what it is we're doing. Mm -hmm. we st the little guys is, is needed as much as the big guy. Um, there's a world that exists that, you know, everybody wants it to be on the up and up all the time, but we find out every time we have like a big case or something along those lines, we find out 20 years later that there was some seedy character that was involved, right? Right. And, and that there was some mayor or some big wig that was in junction with this person for whatever reason. And a lot of times it's for good reason, right? Um, uh, and that the seediness is probably on both sides. If it's on one side, it's probably on the other too. So uh, again, that I learned that there is very, there's, you can't really judge people right in the in the way that you would normally do it like you it's easy to say that a person is wrong or right just because they do this or do that um, or it's just not all black and white it, it really no, is no pun intended but it's it really just not yeah it really isn't that, that's not to say what they were doing were right especially some of those um you know again i've had conversations with them some of my friends who were in that world before some of the stuff that they were doing let me just throw this out there for people that maybe there's some white people listening and they're shaking their head and mm -hmm. they're either, they're either thinking, you know, whatever they're thinking, right. The tradition, right. Oh, here we go again. Or just, you know, the, here come the excuses or right, right, right. whatever, whatever white people say. And to me, the first thing I thought about was, well, how in the fuck do you think it was to, to, to be 400 and plus years behind right. and, and be constantly racially profiled mm -hmm. and have an accumulation that you can't even understand 
and 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 not the same spaces no seats at the table you know going on for uh generations and decades you have no idea what you would have done in that situation to try and feed your family and to try and make ends meet so i have a little bit different perspective looking back on it now versus sort of just being the black and white sort of judgment. well here's my thing to that right let's just look at how we got the let's look at this country the, in, the inception of this country, right? Yeah, there was more crimes. There's more crimes committed, uh, you know, against humanity, right? To to garner this country, so we can't we can't start in the space of absolute hypocrisy and then tell someone that's doing something wrong that they're you know we can say that wrong is wrong, but it's it's very difficult for me it, the way what people think and what they have to say. It's an oversimplification. Truly is right. I mean. We we have reservations, and those people are you know struggling mightily. They you know we indigenous people, yeah, absolutely. The indigenous folk here are an afterthought, right? Um, yeah. I, I haven't seen an an indigenous person in who knows how long, right? Right, exactly. And you know, again, the the hypocrisy of telling someone you know, well, this is wrong. Well, there were, there are a lot of wrongs, right? We need to be trying to, and that's not to say that we shouldn't be trying to right them. They're all wrong. So let's, let's try to figure it all out at, at this point, at least to the drug, uh, the drug epidemic of the 1990s, which, you know, that that's the era that I kind of had my, I grew up yeah. in. Yep. Um, all we have to do is look at toward you know, the Iran-Contra scandal and, and figure right. out that, you know, that was, it's, it's easy to blame the retailer, right? But how about blaming the manufacturer and the supplier, right? It's easy yeah. to, it's easy to say that the, the, the retailer is the most culpable when in fact, we know that some of those people, one of those people is, that was involved is the president of the NRA at this particular moment in time. So with that being said, you know, th- there's a, there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of hypocrisy. You know what I mean? That I mean, look at now with fentanyl, you know. Oh, yeah. Right. So when it when it deals with more white folks, right, and then, then something's gonna be done about it. I mean, you know, there's been there's been uh mistakes across the board, whether it's three strikes and you're out, mandatory minimums. We've talked about that on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, disproportionate number of people, you know, in prison in the black and brown community, uh, health care, education. Right. You know, so so having said all that and, and shared with people that there, there are still tremendous disparities in, in small business loans and, you know, in, in a lot of other areas mm-hmm. between black and white America. Um, do you think that uh, since the murder of George Floyd, things shifted and we're going in the right direction or do you think we're stagnant? And, the, and Randy, it's the reason why I keep wanting to talk about it on every show. And people ask, me, why do you keep talking about this? Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about it on every show. No, 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 I get talking you. I get about you. it. Uh, yeah, no, not from your perspective, but but white people that keep you know. No, asking, I get yeah, 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 because it's it's something that shouldn't take another murder to keep talking about it and keep protesting and burning buildings down. Right, I think I think there were two things that happened there that were that were. Stelly is sponsored by PSK. You can find them online at lids.com, pskcollective.com, tjmax.com, walmart.com. And now Cole's department store at Coles.com. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the First, sports. We had the pandemic, right? Yeah. Um, which slowed everybody down, right? Just slowed everybody down. Everybody, uh, and for a lot of people, they just came to a halt. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Floyd's murder happened right in the middle of that, right? Yeah. So 
everybody got a chance to view the video, so on and so forth. Um, there's a lot of um, um, there's a lot of things that went wrong in that particular situation. Even in talking to my mom and and my you know I talked to my dad about it a little bit, but my mom especially um, because my mom was was a true cop, right? She was a copper, right? The real thing. Um, she was horrified what she saw, right? Um, the uh, with 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 that happening. I think that that definitely opened up the world to a lot of issues that made a lot of things more prevalent. And especially when everybody had time to fight them because nobody was working, the, pan, the pandemic happened at a perfect time for, for people to sit in front of their computers, write uh, podcasts, uh, you know, debate and, and yeah. go, go out and, and, you know I mean, protest. All of these things happen at the perfect time. So when they happened, it made it so whereas the, um, uh, there was no way to really get around it. And that's what you and I were talking about this before when I was talking to you about, you know, the thing with San Diego State and the retirement right. of Michael Cage's number. Like, you know, you cannot allow people, uh, people will try to ignore you, but if you stay persistent, right, and you end up getting your point across, or at least putting the other party in such an uncomfortable situation that they have to address it, whether they agree with you or disagree. Well, there's strength in numbers now. So it's not just an isolated incident where Colin was sort of by himself. Right. Bruce Maxwell came on our show, first uh, major league baseball player, African-American who kneeled, you know, he's sort of been ostracized. He was by himself. And now there's, there's a strength in numbers. How, how, how are your parents treated as police officers? Uh, they were of color. I'm taking it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be presumptuous. Maybe you were adopted or something. No, 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 yeah, no. So, no. so they were black. They were black. And okay. They were... So were they ever silenced? Were they, were they a part of racial profiling? Like, and they couldn't, they couldn't do anything about it because the pressures were so strong with the, with the white leadership. Like, I'm just curious about, cause it, like, I, I listen to doc rivers talk about this too. Right. Cause his dad was a police officer. Right. I'm always curious. And I have a good friend here in San Diego who is a person of color. And he said, I want to come on your show, but I can't. Until oh, wow. I'm retired, I can't because okay. you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that I know. And we know this stuff, right? We know people are racially profiled. White right. white police officers have admitted this stuff. Right. Like we know this stuff happens, but, uh, you know, people are talking about defunding the police and, you know, which is ridiculous. But um, I'm just curious what their experiences were. And obviously they made a difference in their own way, but uh, it's very political. I think that I think that they both, especially my father experienced a lot of um prejudice disrespect. and yeah. racism and disrespect oh. and the likes right um i think that he was he was a um in the uh, same way that athletes had to face it he faced it in in, in his locker room 100 I, I i know that i know that for a fact i think that was one of the biggest reasons that he even took the job uh it's because he wanted to try to you know try to make a difference and save the world and all the rest of that kind of jazz and i think uh, because he was arrested as a as like a 16 year old or something like that or 17 year old coming from the train station he just was grabbed and said hey is you know is this the guy that robbed you some uh, uh i think wow. a puerto rican or a mexican individual uh was getting had gotten robbed and they took my dad in and his friend and they sat in jail for the weekend and then they let him out on that monday and i think that really really bothered my father right like it i think it stuck with him in a very real way um 
even as a police officer, there was an issue that one time in particular, you know, we get a ton of snow in the Midwest. And one oh. night he and I went to what was Dominic's food, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the store, a police officer was coming down our street. We were pulling out of the driveway, nothing to it. We go into the store, we come back out with the, um, with like four or five salt bags. You know, we bought a bunch of salt to throw on the driveway and, and the walkway, so on and so forth. As we're getting in our car, whoosh, like six cars pull up every which way. My dad shows his badge. I never forget this. My dad shows his badge and all of the, all of the cops were white. They were like, oh, okay, cool. Except one. One says, wait, let me see that thing. It might be fake. And my dad's like, dude, I've been on, at this point in time, he had been on the job for 10 years. He said, I've been on the job for 10 years. I've never seen a fake badge. Now you're telling me that this one is fake, right? So there's a, um, uh, there's definitely a, um, there was definitely a lot of racism that was experienced. The racism that I experienced was very different. Um, and, or the prejudice that I experienced is a very different prejudice. Catholic school? Uh, Catholic school was, was really tough on me, like oh, Catholics, okay. but it taught me how to deal with people right. uh, in a very unique way. But Catholic school, by me not being Catholic, by me being one of two black kids in my yeah. class, mm. um, the, 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 the white teachers, um, the white women teachers did not know how to deal with a African-American bo- young boy uh, or, or didn't want to. Um, uh, the, the, all of the stereotypes that they were placing on me, I was always put in the back of the line or always put in the lesser group. And my parents weren't, were not necessarily hip to, you know, what the fuck was going on. They just didn't know, you know, yeah, they yeah. weren't privy to a lot of that information. Uh, the other black kid in my class, his mom was a teacher. So she knew how the game was played. So she made sure that she was up there pushing the narrative, you know, but with information comes, you know, you know, more, you know, knowledge, right. And and how to handle things. Mm -hmm. Um, So Catholic school was very, very difficult for me. Um, But what were you, you weren't, you weren't referencing that. What were you referencing in terms of racism was very different for you when you said basketball player was definitely, definitely different. Right. There was, there were doors that were open for me that were not necessarily open for other people, mm-hmm. but behind those doors, right. Is where the real racism started. Right. When it came again, when it came to uh, business um, I've been very fortunate. I will say this about my coach, Steve Fisher, right. Um, he's a person that I truly, truly love. And he's introduced me to some very, very, very powerful people, right. Some very influential people, some very, very wealthy people. And although they haven't given me, money right they gave me information um but that's the type of allies that we need in 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 that space right in the black and brown spaces absolutely is the white allies absolutely and even um even with that though when in getting closer to them they still didn't know how to handle african-american issues right they didn't know how to handle uh the indigenous African, right? What about, what about now? I think that they, uh, I think that they try, but I think that they still don't, it's, it's hard for them to, they don't know that world, right? Is it it hard or is it not a priority still? I think that, I think that it's one of those situations where when you're black, you have to go into the white world. When you're white, you don't have to go into the black world. 
So black and brown and whatever color have to learn how to operate in a white world, right? Um, Interesting. When you, um, I was taught real estate by, you know, uh, one of these people, right? Who he's very near and dear to my heart. Um, in fact, I was just with him yesterday and I just went to go see him yesterday to, uh, to do business, right? And um, I've tried to do like urban projects with him and um, he just doesn't, he doesn't get it, right? It's not a, he doesn't get why, or he doesn't believe that said store would work in this community because people will tear it up or they will dirty it up or the parking lot won't be blah, 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 blah. You know, he, it's that for him. He doesn't understand and, about how investing in your own communities is exactly why they won't do those things. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. the opposite. It's because right. people from different backgrounds are investing in the black and brown community. And that's right. why people don't give a shit about those places is because right, it's right, not right. their own people. Right. Exactly. And not, and then to that point, you don't, you also don't get uh, when you, when you build things, right. Typically, you know, commercial real estate or retail follows rooftops, right? So new homes. Well, when you live in New York, Chicago, and you know, you just get a lot of rehabs. And when you're talking about the South side and the West side of Chicago, there's very, you know, these places are usually food deserts. So putting a grocery mm -hmm. there that isn't, you know, like a Whole Foods in one of these areas and working to do this would, would absolutely make sense. You, yeah, you're going to get shrinkage. People are going to go in there and steal. Yeah. So what? Because at the end of the night, most of the stuff that's in Whole Foods, from what I understand, is given away or thrown out anyway. Right. right? So there's, yeah, you're going to get some shrinkage, but you're also, what we do know about black and brown people is that they spend the most. So people are going to come right. there. The store will thrive. Um, so trying to get him to understand that. Well, then, uh, then you're working on healthcare. Now you're teaching, now you, you put programming in that teaches them yeah. more about healthcare because in the black and brown community, you have higher incidences of high blood pressure, diabetes, right. Right. you know, uh, high cholesterol. So now if there's a trickle down. Exactly. Right. All of these things start to happen. You know, I can't even, when I, as a kid and I was better off than my cousins were, you know, I don't even remember fresh, fresh vegetables, right? I would like, I think my grandmother would buy a bell pepper. It right. wasn't until I was well into my twenties that I had ever tasted squash or um, uh, kale or something along those lines. I, you know, kale was like, <laughs> you know, like by the time I had kale for the first fucking time, you know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, is this a new plant? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, is this like some new shit? Like, you know, it's the craziest thing ever. So, you know, you just don't get that kind of shit where, where, you know, in those urban communities, no matter how well off you are, you can make a million dollars. But if you're, if, if you're a community, well, and if you did eat that shit, you get roasted for it. Like, get that shit out of here. Get that shit. What the fuck? Yeah. Are you <laughs> what is that? Let's, shit? Go, let's go get a beef sandwich. You know right, what I'm saying? Exactly. So, you know, it's like everything that we ate was literally from the, you know, the corner restaurant, literally, right. no matter how much money you made. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think that there's a lot, you know, going down a rabbit hole here, but there's it's all good. It's, yeah. yeah. Well, it's important, though, because, uh, you know, we, we can make light of some of these things, but, um, you know, a lot of these things are, you know, and the thing that, that that Clubhouse, for those of you that don't know what it is, a social audio app, um, and there's others out there now, Wisdom and uh, Green Room and some others, but uh, it's it's fascinating. What I've noticed, maybe, I don't know if this has been your experience, but the, the collaboration mm -hmm. that has 
appeared to have happened, especially with with the black and brown people, there's a lot of drama. But um, the the collaboration and the conversations, I've just never been around these types of conversations that have been this thoughtful. And like mm-hmm. I said, there is the dramatic conversations as well. But, right. but it's been it's been um, not just enlightening, but it's been um, it's given me more hope because I see things that are happening that I've never even heard of before in terms of people working together, you mm-hmm. know, people getting their flowers. Right. Uh, you know, the queens and the kings, you know, being understood differently. So right. from that perspective, I, I think, you know, all these things help. Right, right, right. I, well, I'm, I'm with you. I think that Clubhouse is um, definitely been something for me that has been pretty unique. I, I, when I got on there first, I didn't even say, and not that I'm important at all, but I just was, you know, I just went into a room and just listened. And again, the experiences that I have not had the typical experience of the, the 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 normal black person because of athletics, right? After after I graduated high school, you know, the world just kind of opened up to me in a very different way. Right. But there there's still I had my issues with white America that these that my friends who were, you know, yeah. still in Chicago, they didn't have those same experiences that I had. So trying so in that, you know, I had to there was a lot of things that I was dealing with on my own and I had gotten away from the the actual black community in a lot of ways. Right. And I think that clubhouse has reattached me in a way to, to, to urban community. And I, you know, I kind of forget that I'm 42 years old and that there's some 21 and 22 and 23 year old kids that have all these thoughts and ideas and they're trying to figure out what to do with themselves. And they have their own issues with social media and so on and so forth that uh that they're contending with right and you know you you have to have some sensitivity um there to a certain degree but you also again you also have to have a level of toughness about you too that i think that uh the generation that is coming up behind us uh they don't always display but they are they are very intuitive and very intelligent and use the resources that they have they have a ton more resources than we had as kids um but at the same time uh, I think that there's a level of toughness that they need to display in certain situations. Man, that's fascinating. Uh, I haven't gone into one of my questions yet. We've just been going down all these different uh, areas. It's just yeah. fascinating stuff. In the rapid fire, I'll probably touch on some of them. Um, so what was your experience like at, at, at San Diego State? Who else, who else uh, was uh, in the final you know, uh, choices for you? Uh, San Diego State, Providence, uh, Kansas State um, wow. were the, were the uh, schools that it came down to. I spoke with I spoke with Oklahoma a great deal, oh, with wow. Calvin Sampson. But yeah, um, I'm not even going to lie to you. I didn't. Calvin Sampson sent me. He sent me the practice schedule for the entire year, like in a in a FedEx package. The shit was like fucking this thick, and I was like, you know. <laughs> I ain't living that life, man. I ain't living that life. <laughs> Fuck great that coach. Great, great coach. coach. Yeah. Great coach. Yeah. But I'm not. You do. At the time, my girlfriend was going to Long Beach, uh, Long Beach State. Wow. Um, um, and I was not about to, um, well, I should say the girl that I was seeing. I don't want to call her a girlfriend, but the girl that right, I was, yeah, yeah. was going to, uh, was going to uh, Long Beach State. 
and um it's about and, an hour and a half north of san diego so yeah. it was super super easy to get back yeah. and forth in that hour and a half you know what i mean and come on man anybody that's lived in dago it's hard to live anyplace else after you live in san diego it really is man it's just, it takes a lot i was just in san diego two weeks ago you know what i mean just for just to come just on vacation so um you know it's just one of those things where you know well all the way back to around to your question those were the schools that were available but but what people don't know necessarily is that uh steve fisher wasn't like a legend here yet and so they were coming off a five and 23 season was that concerning to you or did you not care sponsored by moolah kicks moolah is m-o-o-l-a-h like money moolah and kicks like shoes one word you can find them online at moolahkicks.com and it's the first ever female only brand basketball shoe so it's a shout out to the basketball street culture and it is also about fighting social injustice and gender inequality worldwide and here in the united states and again you can find them at moolahkicks.com and now back to this incredible interview right here in the sports Dell. you know i really didn't care i wanted to you know i wanted to carve out my own niche i've always been a guy that's gone by the beat of my own drum right and Did coach fisher know that was yes. he in tune with that yes he, he I, I think i think a part of him thought that i was coming just for him he was a part of the reason that i was coming but there were a ton of reasons that i was going there i was not going to have to share the basketball with anybody i was gonna to get to shoot that motherfucker every time <laughs> i felt like it right so it with that being the case it yeah. made it that was a very easy decision for me uh to to choose san diego state over any other school right I, I i i knew that i was not going to have to share the basketball and that and that meant a lot to me after coming from fresno state where we had 10 guys that got drafted i just understood that the way that or at least i felt at the time and it probably was the wrong way to feel that i didn't need to shoot the ball who was at fresno and was that tark that was tark i was there with yeah tark. wow so, uh, we had you know i was there my freshman year with melvin eli and wow Courtney Alexander and Chris Heron, who's doing very oh. well. Ray for Austin skipped to Malou. Oh. Um, man, we were, I mean, it was literally 10 guys and, and, a, and a slew of other guys that have been forgotten, you know what I mean? Because they just kind of fell off. So um, again, I tell you, I'm, I'm a quick study. I, I figure stuff out pretty quick, <laughs> you know, and, and move around. Still talking to Coach Fisher? I spoke to Coach Fish, man. He and I had a, uh, a very spirited conversation about them retiring uh uh Kawhi's number um interesting I was against that uh because the uh Michael Cage was there before and it's complete bullshit that his number they they told me that his number was retired but it's not hanging right and it was convenient it's very convenient for Kawhi to have his number retired you know what I'm saying like it just it just for me it just put me in a bad space um and i haven't talked to dutcher either but a lot of times when you want to talk to somebody about something that's important to you they go into this uh uh this mode where they're trying to um ignore you until you forget and fish is my man don't get me wrong like i love fish but i also know that uh, he's very he's very corporate in his thought process and he handles things like a corporation and and that uh um, I love him. I love the program, 
Um, but I didn't want to be ignored either. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I didn't want to have a situation where I was being ignored and, and um, my thoughts were coming off the wrong way. But since then, we've been great. You know what I mean? I haven't spoke to him in a minute, but since then, we've been really, really good. Was that the reason you called? Was like you reason? reached out to him just specifically for that reason? Or you just talked to him and then it just sort of came up as a part of the conversation? No, no, no. This was the, this particular time that I spoke to him, it was, I was calling for that. I right? got you. I was, I so your calling. issue is the order. The order. My issue is the order, 100%. Right. It's not that, it's not that Kawhi did not deserve it. Right. to say that he didn't deserve it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was but clarifying. Yeah. I, yeah. But with anything, man, with anything, the history is always the most important thing, right? We have to tell the history the right way. You know what I'm saying? Especially when we're at a university that only has, it's only had a handful yeah. of ball players. We're not talking about Duke. Right. It's interesting you talk about this. I remember there was a story. I don't remember if it was in the Big Ten or the SEC. There's another situation just like that. Somebody's uh, historic, um, I think it was uh, at Iowa okay. last year. Somebody was talking about why uh, Luca, was it Luca last year? Garza? Wasn't that who? Uh, Garza, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody was talking about his uniform being retired, and there were people that had come before him. Don't quote me on that, but same mm. kind of thing. It's interesting you bring that up. I'm glad we're, we're talking about that because uh, <clears throat> that type of thing where, you know, my shirt says speak up and dribble. Right. Um, you know, people were basically, like you said, told to just be quiet. And at UCLA, the same thing happened. Right. And there was a disc. You probably talked to some of those guys. You know, I've had... Um, uh lon on i've had kj on i've had okay. you know I, I i've had ray on you know and, and okay. Okay. They, they basically said there was a disconnect for 20 years mm -hmm. uh because of the corporate approach at ucla right. Right. so it's interesting you talk about that because i always ask about the brotherhood of duke you know we've had coach doherty on we've had Mm -hmm. Jay Billis on, you know, we, we've had people from oh, you know, a lot of different representations. Yeah. We've had Doug Gottlieb on. So, okay. okay you know, yeah. But I always ask about the brotherhood because, you know, that's just something when you transition back into society, if you will, mm -hmm. it's always an interesting thing for me because there's so many layers to all this, right? Whether now we're talking about mental health and, you know, right. Meta Sanford, Sanford brought more awareness to it, but yet initially, you know, history usually reveals itself, right? Initially, right him and, and, and Steven Jackson were viewed a certain way. And now after Malice in the Palace, you know, things are viewed differently. Right, right. We're talking right. about John Carlos, you know, uh, during the 68 Olympics. And now we see that differently, you know, and, and, and the list goes on and on, right? So it's right. interesting. So what was, what was Coach Fisher's uh, response besides the corporate did he, did he not even think about it? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Michael Cage is not. <laughs> well, I think, right. Huh? Like how do you, average 24 and 12 at San Diego state. And, you know, ridiculous. So um, again, it was, you know, coaches, coaches, a guy that is very, uh, uh, he's very cool on the fire and, you know, and, and very, uh, you know, like he called me, he was disappointed because I had said something on social media about it. And then it, it, it got legs. It started, it started yep. to grab legs. And without that, he wouldn't have called me back, right? So when in speaking to me, he said that he didn't like the fact that I went to social media. And I told him I didn't like the fact that you retired Kawhi's number. And then, um, like, you know, most things, man, people will start to figure out what, what your angle is, right? And yeah. 
I don't think that he was in this light, but he said some people feel like because you didn't get your number retired that you feel a way about Kawhi. And my response to that is, or was that those same people, that, that's what happens in history a lot of times. When somebody speaks up for something that's wrong, then all of a sudden the other party either tries to ignore them or they try to find that person's angle as opposed to just hearing exactly what it is they said. I said what the fuck I meant. Not I didn't I didn't go off on this tangent about yo retire my number and all the rest of it. I said that Michael Cage's number should have been retired when I was there. Michael Cage was there about 40 years ago. He was there 20 years before I got there. So why isn't his number hanging? And then why are you guys, if if you in fact have retired his number, why are you calling him to ask him if a player can wear his number? There's a complete disconnect. In, in that realm, right? There's a, there's no way. Well, it's disrespectful too. It's just disrespectful. Like I would be like, how do you call somebody up? He's at the crib chilling, watching TV. Yo, hey, how you doing, Mike? Uh, listen, man, we got some random kid who wants to wear your number. You think you'd be cool with that? Like, no, no, not at all. You know what I mean? So that was the, that was the conversation. And we, the conversation ended kind of in this blank space. Still all love there, but I, you know, it, I haven't talked to, I talked, I called him and I called Dutch and uh, neither one of those guys, well, Dutch did not, um, Dutch, ha I still haven't talked to Dutcher um, since that, but. But again, nothing's transpired? No, no, not that how, I know. How is that possible? Well, listen, man, uh, I, I'm not, again, Dutch is, again, Dutch is my man, but Dutch is very business in his approach, right? And there's a, there's an approach that, I think when these universities have, uh, to give an example, there was a situation where a player for him was was maybe going to become ineligible because of some gifts that were given or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Immediately, he snatched the player off the floor, told the player that he couldn't play, right? Because it benefited him at the time, right? From a business perspective, and he wanted to make sure that he protected himself and the program. I don't have a problem with that. But at the same time, we got to do that the flip too. Like we cannot just move in a space where it's like, okay, I don't know if Kawhi donated money. I don't want to put that on him. Um, but he's very deserving of, of, of having his number retired, right? But at the same time, it's got to be done in a way that is right. Michael Cage's number should be hanging, period. First. First. You know what I mean? That should be, that should have been a priority because you can't build a program without uh, tapping in to the players that came beforehand. Well, and it shouldn't be Kawhi that says, uh, "Hey, uh, I heard about this, and and Randy's right, and right. I'm not I'm not willing to come to that ceremony until Michael's happens first. Right. Exactly. Like that shouldn't be up to him. I mean, it shouldn't right. be him right. that, that has that pushback. Right, right. You interesting if he did. Well, I I. I I don't know if he did or didn't, right? But and and probably didn't even. It's probably so long ago, and you know he probably didn't even think about that. I'm almost certain, but I'm I, I for sure did because again the university. The one of the reasons that I even chose that university is because of Michael Cage, and it had been literally 20 years before a guy had gotten drafted, and I was like, yo. And then I'm looking at his numbers, 24 and 12 in college, right in the 1980s. So how was it possible? Left-handed. Left-handed, great rebounder, played in the league for nine years or something like nine, ten years. He played in the, at the highest level. So, how is it possible that his number is not hanging? That was the last conversation that I had with with Fish.
Yeah, that pisses me right. off. Yeah, I know, but that that still pisses me off. I mean, it's like, can you imagine if Tony Gwynn's situation? No. You know, yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't even make sense. Tony Gwynn's name is all over that university right. from, the, from the field where he where he got and God rest his soul from the the field that they play on. Yeah, he coached that team with his name on that field. Right, you can't go but in. He played basketball too, which played basketball there with Michael Cage. Right, right? Exactly. so it's like you know. Why would you not like? Come on, man! Like that's that would be like the, the all of the wrong to do, you know. And, and Michael Cage isn't in the forefront, like you know, like a you know Tony Gwynn who lives in San Diego, played for the Padres and the whole nine, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, you still got to do things the right way, you know. That, and that was my whole point. And that corporate feel is just, you know, sometimes it just gets disgusting for me. That doesn't mean that it's not needed. But at the same time, we got to move in a way in a light that makes more sense. Yeah, that's crazy. There's there's got to be a little bit more to that. Um, I'm I'm going to definitely make a phone call. That's that's just mind blowing because uh, uh, I've been in that space for 30 years in terms of coaching and and uh, we need more allies. Right. There, how, how how whether it's John Cantera, you know, people that have been in this area for a long time, uh, you know, are not pushing back is is, is amazing to me. You know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because people, even though Steve Fisher uh, brought credibility and a legacy and tradition to San Diego State basketball, mm-hmm. no, one gives, no one gives a shit. Right. Nobody cares in San Diego. It's still San Diego. That, that's why the, that's right. why the Chargers are gone. Right. That's why no one really gives t- zero fucks about the Padres. You'll get some loyal people. But, but the reality is, like, can you imagine if this was in New York or Duke oh. or Carolina? Just not happening. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, UCLA would be ridiculous. Right. Wow, that was a direction I wasn't planning on going down. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird thing, right? No, it, well, it's just, you know, because, you know, I'm just hypersensitive now about uh, just about the race card. And so I just, I just, I can't imagine if like a, a big John was the coach at San Diego State right now or John Chaney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh you know, or, um, you know, even coach K, you know, just someone who's like, this is ridiculous. Get it done next week. Right. And it would get done. Can you imagine if coach Thompson or coach Shaney were, I'm trying to think of some other historic, uh, coaches of color, but those two come to mind right away. Oh man. Um, I'm trying to think of some too. Uh, Arkansas's coach. uh, Yeah. Nolan Richardson. Thank you. Nolan Richardson. Yeah. Yeah, Can you imagine if any of them were were at San Diego state right now? Man, like I mean, they would they would be borderline boycotting games if, if oh, michael cages yeah that's yeah. ridiculous it's just, it like, just, just take a stand right like and the, the other thing is randy it's not hard now right like it's right. not hard now like it's right. not hard to right. go it's out pretty on easy right now. everyone already did it for you colin, yeah yeah everyone yeah, before colin after colin like everyone right. speaks up now right. it's not like you're ostracized like you used to be that's the other frustrating part like right oh god right. So frustrating. All right. So what are your thoughts on the transfer portal since you had to, you know, go to a four, two, four situation? You know, I think that it's, I think that, um, I think that it's a good thing. I think that it's a good thing. I think that because coaches can jump around anytime they want, you think the players should have one chance to go somewhere else if it was a mistake. Oh, uh, fucking right. And that was the biggest thing. Like I, there was no reason that I should have had to go into a, uh, a, a JC after going to a, you know, major university, I could, I should have been just able to, to transfer. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is that, 
the portal is also kind of getting out of control too. Like I think right. that some of these kids need to stick around and figure out, figure it out. You know what I mean? I think that they're, you know, just, okay, I want, I'm, I'm unhappy. I want to transfer again. That, that shows no toughness and you, there's nothing that you can do in life without any, without any fucking toughness. You, you were talking to me about how you built your show. You know what I mean? And and I'm sure there are times when you're like, yo, it's a grind today, man. I'm like dragging a little bit. You gotta get up and do it. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, and you get and you gotta not only do it, but perform. And I think that right. that's the 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 key piece when you want to be successful is learning how to perform. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about that because uh you talked about a disconnect earlier in a different way, but there is a disconnect because you have a instant gratification. Right. Ty- type of uh, kid now and then you and i are old school and we learned how to grind we played street ball there's right. no street ball now like they do no. aau like right. we if you lost playing street ball you had to wait an hour and a half and you were pissed right <laughs> right and that's no one no one even understands that now right like in detroit especially right. chicago wherever venice beach right you lose right. you're so irritated like there ain't no fouls no. like fuck that it's our ball yeah exactly right? exactly yeah. there's a there was a decorum that we had to learn. Like there was a pecking order that we had to figure out. And I think that that's a very, very important thing. Um, There's a hill that we had to climb. Um, This generation of kids, I think that because so much is available, they, everybody feels like they can just be everything. And there's a good and a bad to that. Um, I don't want to see your basketball workout, right? I don't want to see your highlight tape per se. I want to see you play the game. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, you know, anybody can be a rapper now. Anybody can be a basketball player now. Anybody can do a slew of things. Uh, it's just not realistic, though. It's just not realistic to what life is. And I don't, I, I, some guys are successful that way, but the vast majority will not be successful in their life. I remember when um, I went to Eastern Michigan, I didn't know where I was going at the time. I've told this story a couple of times. So I apologize for those of you that have heard it before. Uh, and so my guy said, you want to go run? I'm like, yeah, of course. And so I was, I got cut three times growing up. So I had a why, just like other people have a why as to, you know, why they're a little bit more motivated when they go out and play. And so we walk in, so I didn't know we were going to Eastern Michigan. So we walk into Eastern Michigan and there's like 5,000 people in the stands. So um, Jimmy Jackson's in there, Demetrius Caleb, uh, mm-hmm. Chris Weber, Glenn, Ro- I mean, Mark, yeah. Mark, Mark Hughes, William. Yeah, Pepper. yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are guys in there and I'm like, okay. And I had just really learned how to play, play. Mm-hmm. And so I still teach as a pro skills trainer. Now two moves, Kevin Johnson's move and Steve Smith's move that uh, still to this day, not uh, Chris Paul and Isaiah Thomas, current Isaiah Thomas use the Steve Smith a lot, the fake spin and putting people in jail and that type of thing. But the KJ is not used. It's not used by one player in the W since Kevin Johnson or in the NBA. And so I still teach it. And so I remember going in there like, man, if they asked me to play, I don't know if I can do this in front of all these people. Guys. Right. And I was just a Juco guy. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, we need one more. And I'm like, Oh man. So I go in there. There's a point to all this. And so I'm going up against Carlos Briggs, Carlos Briggs, All-American at Baylor. And okay. I'm like, oh, shit. And I met Carlos because I, I went to Greg Kelser's camp. And, you know, there was a lot of guys from the University of Detroit there and stuff. So I knew him. And, but he was trying to eat me up. And, mm-hmm. and I hit him. I hit him hard and fast and furious with a KJ and went by his ass. 
and no look pass. To, I'll never forget it. William Bedford was in the short corner, no look pass, and he yoked that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the reason I ask the question is because no one knows who in the fuck I am. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, I'm barely a connector. I wouldn't necessarily call myself an influencer, but I have that that nobody can ever take from me. Right. And so you play professionally for a long time. And, you know, people might try and marginalize you and your career and say, you know, you only did this or you only did this. Or you right. just did this. And I just did a TikTok video about this this morning about right. not letting anyone ever say you're just this. Or you're only this, that, you know, you create your narrative, you are who you are. So to be in the top 1% of 1% to have made it to the NBA, to actually have played in a game, what what was that like to have actually made it? Were you like whatever at that point? Or were you like, damn, I'm actually going to play in a game and no one can ever take that from me the way that, that kids were asking for my autograph after that damn game. I was like, holy shit, I just dropped two dimes to NBA players. Right, right, right. And kids are asking for my autograph now. Like, you made it. Like, after all the hard work, you made it. Even if it was for a few games, you made it. Yeah, I think that I think that there was a uh, there was a deep breath that I had, right? Um, because up to the point, there were so many things that happened in my professional career that were so political right, that um, if I may, I was I was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers and then they decided that they were, they were gonna try to push for the championship and wanted to use the roster spot that I had. They didn't wanna release my rights. They didn't wanna cut me, right? They promised me that they were gonna pay me though. Like they paid me for the full year, right? And being there. And I thought that that was a plus, right? Today, I would have preferred to have had my rights and been able to go to another team and play. They brought me back the very next season, traded my rights to Atlanta. Atlanta had no use for me. So, you know, they had to pay me, you know I mean? I I got paid and that was just kind of it. So I was fortunate. I tell you what, what what you see in life you often get because I was always concerned about the business i was just gonna say that you mentioned that earlier yeah i was always thinking that way i was always thinking about the business part of it right um and there was you know so because of that you know that that was kind of the energy that i had i had one of the best agents in the game at the time uh dan fagan Mm. uh who was an absolute genius before he was you know killed in a car wreck a couple years back um but um making it there by the time I got to Chicago and all the rest of that kind of jazz, um, I think I was I was so unhappy with my career, and it goes to what you were saying. I was never present. I was never in the moment, right? As a basketball, you player, made it I, back to Chicago too, like yeah, I made it back man. to Chicago. So you yeah, weren't even crazy. able to enjoy it. You just right. couldn't... I, it was just so much pressure. Like I was yeah. always, it was either. It was either a situation where I was trying to get to the next spot or I was trying to get out of the situation that I was in or I was concerned when I got to Chicago, I was concerned about signing a loan deal and how was I going to play. Never once did I stop and say, yo, man, listen, this I'm in I'm in Dubai right now and this is phenomenal, right? I'm good. I can go to, to Dubai today. I'm in Libya right now. Nobody, there's very few people that can say, especially with an American passport, can say, I've been to Libya, right? And I was embraced there. And and on my birthday there, they a cake came out of the crowd, out of nothing, (laughs) off nothing on my birthday, (laughs) right? So 
Chicago was much the same. Like when the lights went off and they, and now that whole deal, right? I was like, wow. oh, shit. that moment was surreal. And then right after that, I thought I was going to become some different person, but I was still Randy. I was still me, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. um, that was a very sobering experience because I, I was like, I've been fighting this hard to get to this place and I'm no different than who I was before, right? I'm still the same person. So mm -hmm. I need to embrace me, right? As a, as an individual. And they asked me to do some things that are, as they asked me to do some things that a, as a player, I just didn't feel like I could do. They wanted me to play the four and the five. And I was just like, why? I can go back overseas and make yeah. basically the same money that they were going to pay me to do that and have a good life and at least have all my faculties instead of trying to right. hold on the fucking Kevin Garth's leg while he's ripping the fucking screws out the basket. Right. right. So uh, that was uh, for me, that was uh, that was more. <laughs> more I never had heard it put that way before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like dude, seven foot two. I'm six, eight. Why am yeah. I? You know, I'm, right. I'm I'm more of an asset playing at, on the perimeter, at least for me at the time. I'm more of an asset playing on the perimeter than I am playing close to the basket. So um, well, and that's the direction the game went anyways. It was just too too soon. Right. Exactly. And and yeah. I, I tell people that all the time, you know, had I been playing a day, it probably would have been a little easier. But then everybody, it was so position full, right? You yeah. know, point guard, two guard, three man, power forward, center, and trying to fit into that power forward slot at, you know, six, eight, 225 pounds it just wasn't realistic at that particular moment in time. Uh, so I mentioned uh, Meta Sanderford. Um, and, you know, some people have seen the Malice with the Palace and some people remember it and some don't. Some people just don't care and they just want to think of it the, the way that they did, whether it's, uh, you know, Stephen Jackson's uh, situation or going into the crowd or what they think of people of color or whatever. And so, but he has uh, raised a lot of awareness with regards to mental health. Uh, and it's always something that's interesting to me in, in the black and brown community because you're either roasted or it's taboo. And mm -hmm. so I'm wondering from your perspective, are we moving away from that? Because Kevin Love's come out, Asia Wilson, uh, and, you know, DeMar DeRozan. There's been a lot of people that have come out and talked about it. But you know as well as I do, it's just like with basketball. Like, if you don't make a commitment every day uh, towards an aspect of your life, nothing's going to change. We can talk nothing's about so it for a, for a quick second. Right. But, but are, are, is there any, because I know Rashawn McLeod came on and he talked about this as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that he wants to do some things in these spaces to talk more about it, whether it's, uh, you know, parenting or, you know, anything else in the black and brown communities that are that are issues within the black and brown communities that don't require white allies or, you know, right. policy changes that are just issues within their own communities. So but what are your thoughts about the mental health component? Because it's it's important. We, we need to normalize. Oh, Stelly is sponsored by City Lokes, C-I-T-Y-L-O-C-S. You can find them online at citylokes.com where you can go and make your own personalized license plate hats. They're so cool. You got to check them out. And don't forget to enter the code THESPORTSDELI at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the Sports Deli. I think that, I think that the mental health, when it comes to athletics, I think that there's always going to be an imbalance there. As soon as you pit me against you, right? I got to be better than you. That's when the problem starts. That's when the mental health problem starts. My, if I beat you one-on-one, -on -one, my ego grows tremendously. Your 
feeling of yourself or your self-worth goes down. But where does, where does coach Fisher have a responsibility to have safeguards in place that he's better able to recognize uh, that there's something wrong and that you need a sports psychologist or you need a regular psychologist instead of, well, my job is just to coach. That's not my job. Like, have we seen a shift with coaches that they need to be more than just coaches? I don't think so. I think that as long as we're using we're using uh, sports as you know as a in capitalism, right? I, I I just don't think that there's any way to fix that issue without it being without it being when when it's in a space of capitalism. The coach is making three, four, five, six, seven, eight million bucks, right? Um, his job is to try to make all of that money and look good for his AD and so so on and so forth. Um, the university makes still makes a ton of money. They've been let out by this, this NIL deal right. that, that allows kids to go out and find their own deals as opposed to the university just paying the kid. That would solve a ton of problems, you know, in, in my opinion, right? It would, uh, but, but Randy, whether you're transitioning from college sports to the real world or professional mm-hmm. sports to the real world, we hear about identity issues, that there's increased uh, amounts of depression, uh, there's lack of financial literacy, uh, and this is across the board, but um, you don't think the coaches have a responsibility or there needs to be safeguards in place in uh, Power Five conferences in particular, or D1, or professionally, where uh, there are uh, resources, like Pete Carroll had, has done this for a long time in Seattle, and some mm-hmm. people don't necessarily believe in his philosophy. He fucked up with making, you know, with that pass attempt and they lost the Super Bowl, right? right. But, but he's he's created a culture there where he has chiropractors and therapists and, you know, and, and look, you, you're entitled to say, look, man, we're here to ball. Fuck all the dumb shit. Like, I'm not trying to, like, worry about right. my mental health. I'm trying to ball. I'm trying to, you know, get places. I'm a business person. Where, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people that think that, we need to do more in the mental health space and intercollegiately and professionally. So I'm just I interested mean, really that uh, to hear you that, say that. Hold, I just, I just feel like the, at the end of the day, man, competition is still it, there. There has to be a winner and there has to be a loser. Yeah. But you can't have both. You can't have a concern for the whole so. person. I don't think really. so. I think that there, there's, you can have some things in place, right. Yeah. But there's no substitute for the drug of winning, right. There's no substitute for, for the, for the idea of winning. If, if we were playing the sport to a draw, right, or it didn't really matter, right, for whatever that nobody, there were no winners, there were no losers, then it'd be a little bit different. But if we're playing, uh, if we're spending all this time game planning on winning and losing, I just think that the entire the entire system is a um, uh, there's there's hypocrisy in the entire system, for at least for me, you know what I mean? Like it's it's just tough on me to say that the coach has to be, I think that that starts at home with the mom and the dad telling the, telling the son or the daughter, like, it's a game. Don't get too wrapped up. The shit is still a game. You know what I mean? Uh, as soon as we start to see it, and this is, I might be talking to me. You haven't seen anyone because there wasn't uh, safeguards in place, uh, either lost their lives, uh, committed suicide, have depression. And if there were things that had been in place, uh, either at the high school level scholastically or intercollegiately or professionally that they would have been saved? Let me think about that for just one second. Um, well, yeah, Victor Page, who played at Georgetown, he's an absolute disaster. He's in jail, right? 
Billy right. played Billy played at UCLA. He killed himself. Sure did. He even did a video about it. Uh, you know, so like we can't save everybody, but but there isn't a percentage where we say we have the talk once every few weeks or we let them know in the beginning of the year. Uh, as your coach, I just want you to know that I'm not bullshitting you. I care about you as a person. We're not going to use this as excuse to not win and et cetera, et cetera. We all know why we're here. But if there's something going on with you emotionally, if you're not doing well, if you're depressed, if you feel like you're suicidal, I don't want you to hold on to this stuff. It's important that we put some things in place to help you in those areas. You, you just think they have to they have to compartmentalize it because I don't think people at that age, you, you know yourself, you thought differently back then. I don't mm -hmm. know if people are capable of, of, of compartmentalizing it and separating it. It impacts them every day, whether it's a girlfriend, their, right. upbring their upbringing, you know, they're they're You can put the stuff aside from your upbringing, but it's going to come back. I was just, I mean, I'm, hold, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I think that everything that you're saying, I think in a perfect world works great. But I also think that you have to be able to come to compartmentalize yeah. uh, to be successful. I think that it's like anything else. I, um, we all have shit, man, that we're going through. You know what I'm saying? Like, but people, but people don't have the tools in the toolbox, especially people in certain agree. communities. They do not, they do uh, not know I, I, how to navigate these spaces. I 100% agree with you, and I won't. I, I can't say that um, uh, you're wrong at all, but I will say that um, this is again, this is what I was talking about with the level of toughness. People who well, let so me ask you this question. I, I want you to finish that point. So a kid versus a parent. So, so, so you say your kid is going to play for coach Fisher mm -hmm. and you have a concern now after George Floyd, the, that you want, you want that program to care about your kid, not mm -hmm. just the, the, the basketball player. And they come and say to you, look, we're here to win. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. That's going to be okay with you. I think that there's a level, there's still a level. I, I would not, and this is from experience. I would not expect the coach to parent my child. Not right? now, not in the, not today versus even five years ago. I wouldn't wow. do it. I would, I would still, I would still be a parent to my child. If, if my child was going to college and did not play sport, I would still have to be a parent to my child. No, but you know how many kids go without dads or they go without having and that is part of the issue that's the and that is the part i was trying to get you to yeah there still has to be a level of parenting that happens right and and when you don't have um but wasn't coach a fisher a dad to a lot of these guys they don't see him as a father figure a lot of people I that's think, what i've I, heard I, there was a there was a part of me that definitely saw him as a father figure right but there was also there was also a wedge or a wall Right. If I'm being very honest, that he kept up between he and his players. Right. They, he was available. But to a certain extent. Right. It wasn't like you could just go talk to him about, you know, an STD or a girlfriend who had just broke your heart or, you know, or. Um, or I can't eat. Dude, I was evicted three times in San Diego. You know what I'm saying? Like three times as the star player on that team. Um, so I can't. Um, and I went to them. Right. I went to I didn't even make it to him. I went to his assistants and said, yo, listen, man, this is what's going on. And they, yo, man, Rand, you just count on your own. Right. So 
I would not, it would be nice if they would do it, but as a parent now of two young daughters, I would not put that responsibility on a coach to try to, I need you. I get it. I get it. You know what I mean? That I'm, I'm, just talking about, I'm just talking about, is there a responsibility now to have a more comprehensive program, a more thoughtful program? Absolutely. No, no, no. That part, absolutely. But I think that I'm coming more from a realist perspective where yeah. I'm not going to leave you with my child, right, without knowing that I'm going to be there or knowing what's going on or knowing my child and how my, because by the, child, by the time my child gets to college, I'm going to know the personality. I know the personality of my kids right now at 10 and 11. Right. So I certainly will know more about them at that particular moment in time. Um, that doesn't mean that I'll know everything that's going on, but I want my, I still have to raise my kids, even though they're at the high school or the collegiate level or whatever the case may be. Now, if the coach offers information and support and not great, right? Great. But at the same time, I think sometimes we can, we're asking the coach to, to do too much. Um, Not necessarily the coach, but I'm just saying the program as a whole have those safeguards in place. That's what I'm saying. I think there's a, I think that there's a, there's some fairness in that, but I also think that there's a, there's a space. It's like, uh, I liken it to this. You, you train, you were the, you're training kids and then those kids have to come play for me at my high school. Your relationship with those kids as a trainer is going to be much different from my relationship with those kids as their coach, right? Yeah, Everything yeah. that they're learning with you, I may not allow them to do that stuff on the floor, right? And that will drive a wedge. They may not get the minutes. They may not be part of the offense in, the, in that light. Meanwhile, they're working with you and they leave you feeling great because they just got a chance to shoot the ball every time they freaking touched it. You know what I mean? They're working on their games. They feel good about themselves. Um I would liken that to parenting. And then the other part is the, is the coaching aspect of it that makes it, um, I think it's hard to, to tap into, uh, for a coaching staff to tap into all those things. Now, if they can yeah. figure out a way to do that, right, um, and still be competitive and all the rest of that jazz, then okay, cool. But I think the first thing's first. A child has to, or a player has to understand that the sport that they're playing is still just a game. Right. right. It's just to get, it's not life and death. You don't you shouldn't have to kill yourself. The coaches that have kids running around and running lines because they did X, Y, and Z. I'm not a proponent of that at all, but every coach is a little bit different. Um, you have to get in shape. I think you can get in shape by playing. Right. Um, Absolutely. I would. I, but I would not. Um, I would not leave that to a coach to try to tap into. Uh, or coaching staff to try to come up with safeguards because again, some of that information can be used in a very detrimental way in some situations and so on and so forth. Wow. Fascinating stuff. So let me ask you this. Um, you saw the bubble, you mm -hmm. saw the wobble, uh, you're a girl, you're a girl dad. Yeah. Um, are they athletes? No, no, no. no my daughters oh, wow. are, uh, I got one daughter who has, uh, uh, online business she's uh wow. making bracelets and, <laughs> and wow that's daughter, crazy and another daughter who is uh who's into uh knitting and making three-dimensional objects out of wow yarn, right got so your, got, got their dad's acumen and business sense yeah 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 they, creativity I, I, yeah i've tried to get them into sports i think if they do play sports it'll probably be an individual sport i don't think that either one of them will play basketball interesting uh, so, uh, you, like I said, you watched uh, the bubble and the wobble, um, mm -hmm. I'm assuming. And so 
uh, we talked a little bit uh, before uh, we came on uh, to the show about social injustice a little bit and, and the pivot that we made with this show. Mm-hmm. So, but what, 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 what were your thoughts and what are your thoughts now? Because, uh, for example, I've been very critical of Tom Brady mm-hmm. um, and his lack of outspokenness, his sure. choice. Right. Um, Jim Trotter came on our show, um, you know, with the NFL Network and wasn't necessarily overly critical, but said, if you're going to have a MAGA hat in your locker, mm-hmm. you're sort of getting in the way. If you're going to either be on one side, be on the other, or, right. you know, sort of stay out of the way of the movement. Mm-hmm. And so I just think as a, as the most recognizable white athlete in America, uh, he hasn't done enough. Mm-hmm. And I just did a, again, I told you earlier about my TikTok. I did another video on TikTok about Tom Brady and how he hasn't done enough. And it's frustrating with his platform. He's doing all these dances with Gronk and he's throwing the trophy right. around right, right, right. and he hasn't said Black Lives Matter once publicly. Right. Right. And so, you know, you got a guy like Steve Fisher, who there's a wall there, right? You know, the line of demarcation specifically when you're in the program, it's not a surprise, but he also helps you in the business world. Right. And Somebody like Tom, who has a choice not to say one thing politically, but this is the same thing that we criticized Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan for, for a long time that they weren't doing more publicly. And so I think the same criticism is deserved for Tom. And I basically said, I'm donating my jersey and my hat because I don't want to wear anything where someone's not being an ally uh, in front of the camera. Behind the scenes, he's attached his name to uh, the coalition. He's helped Antonio Brown. But mm-hmm. to me, it's just not enough. Right. And so, um, you know, what are your thoughts about where sports uh, have gone with regards to after after Colin? Um. I think that we, I think that there was a very uncomfortable second there. Uh, I think that like most things, when you, you, Colin said what he was doing it for and people turn that shit into everything else. And I think a lot of times in, um, when people are uncomfortable. Um, and when a, a white military person suggested what he should do. Right. And, and he said, even after that, that it was no disrespect, but if somebody goes down, you take a knee, which is what the military, you know, I'm paraphrasing, right? But for people to turn around and say, no, he's disrespecting the military, blah, 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 he should stand and blah, 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 blah. And then of course, politicians jump on it because they're trying to, you know, they're trying to build their following. They could care the fuck less about who does what, when, where, and why, Uh, but they just know that they can build, um, they're following by, by, you know, latching on to that movement one way or the other. Um, sports today, I think that we're in a better space now. Um, I also think that the, you know. Except in football. There's, two, well, black, there's think, two black head coaches. Well, football is this, first of all, football is this thing that is, you know, that, that really needs to be reworked in a lot of ways. And that's, that's going to take the players locking out. Right. If I'm being honest, I man, think thank you, Lord. <laughs> they're going to have to lock out. I just talked about that. Absolutely. Um, and they won't. They, and they won't. Right. Because, again, there's this. Um, I got to uh, put food on my table. Right. There's a three year window. Right. And and not only that, I, with or with that in mind. Right. You would think that somebody would say, yo, we got we have to figure out how to get guaranteed fucking deals. Right. We got to figure out it just can't be the quarterback. Absolutely. Huge issue. Right. 
So, so there has to be a lockout. There has to be some sacrifice. Um, but as long as, and this is, this has always been the battle between the have and the have nots. As long as you can give just a little bit, you keep people right. clamoring to yep. you, right? And when people figure out like, well, when they figure out that they have to lock out, they have to stay locked out, right? Until they get this figured out, be a lot better off. Football is this this thing that's really American football is only in America, right? So, and there's so much money around it that you would think with a 53 man roster that they can guarantee those deals. They just don't want to, right? So, um, you know, it's just a, it's just a very sad situation. The, the rest of sports, basketball, um, basketball is in a is in definitely in a better place. Yeah. Um, I think that they've done a lot of really unique things but i also think that the players are now taking advantage of some of those things in a in a, in a very negative way uh with insurance frauds and uh, oh. and uh, uh things that people you know resources that players would actually need are now going to be scrutinized in a little bit different way um today i, I said i said this on clubhouse though until we know the facts Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to I don't want people to jump the gun because I know I've been guilty of that in the past before. We don't really know the situation as to why somebody might have committed fraud. Like we just don't know why there could have been some serious thing going on. It could have been fraud. Obviously, somebody was in a different place. It didn't even happen. They were in another country. Right. <laughs> yeah. So but but we don't know what the circumstances were. And as much as we say to ourselves, there's no way you can justify it. Like, man, we've heard stories before where things are just not thought about in a way that that they happened. And until we really know the facts, you know, I think I think we should just give some grace in a way that we've never given grace before. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's and I was going to go into that. You know, we don't you know, from what we know. Right. You know, I mean, if it, if it's if it's what we have been told, it's wrong. I don't I don't know that we don't know right. until, until we know. Um, but um but let me give you an example. Mike Sweetney, right? Mm-hmm. So he came on our show. He attempted suicide. He was homeless. Uh, we've helped really? him. Tre- we've helped him tremendously uh, on this show. We we helped him get off the streets. And he at one point almost sold his pension. And it took uh, Tamir Goodman, the Jewish Jordan, uh, to say, "What are you doing?" Right. And so that's just an example of how people he was he was completely bamboo. He all his money was gone from his financial advisor. So he's homeless. He, he's got no money. And so like we don't really understand some of these circumstances that happen with people and as to why people do what they do when they're desperate. So I'm right. not going to judge one person until I know the circumstance. Like if I told you that story, like you didn't even know that you played with them. Yeah. And so, you know, he's got a, a special needs kid. He's, he's in a hotel for almost a year during the pandemic. They're about to throw him out. And, you know, we did everything we could to help him. And now he's got a steady job. This is a former NBA player. Right. And so we don't know these situations like, man, you got you, if you have two, three kids, you got a wife and you're about to be homeless. Like, hell, yeah, I'm committing. I'm committing fraud. Wow, right. Like I need some well, money I, to I, get I, out, I, off the street. Now, if the, again, like if that's the in the in the big scheme of things, uh, I, I'm with you, right? And and if if they needed the money, then uh, of course you have to do what you have to do. Um, but you know, as far as the the state of where we are in in terms of sport, I think that you know, again, I think that the basketball world. What I was going to mention was that the um, 
again, there's a there's a there's this there's a softness that I think that is I'm not used to, right? With, with <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. With, with basketball. And now every issue or every disgruntled player, right, wants a trade or wants out or feel or feels like this is mentally taxing and so on and so forth. Um, meanwhile, they signed the deal to, to stand up. I think at some point we have to stand up behind our names too. And that, that can be a, a very uncomfortable thing to do. We have to stand up behind our signature. We have to stand up behind our, um, uh, what we said we were gonna do. And a lot of that stuff is just part of who I, my fabric to, to begin yeah. with. You know, if, you know I'm, I'm gonna do everything that I can do in this particular situation because I said I was gonna do everything that I could do. Um, I think, so, you know, I don't want to say that they're, you know, taking advantage, but in some of these situations, they're taking advantage and then it hurts not that's them per se, but the person that's going to come behind after them, them, you know, because yeah. the CBA will change and become, you know, and there'll be the NBA, the NBA owners will for sure lock out, right? And because they have before and they will do everything they can to get that CBA uh, in a language that that protects them more, right? If, if guys don't start standing up uh, behind their names and when they sign their name and, and come to play every night and so on and so forth without calling any particular name at all. Well, even if there are mistakes, uh, the overriding narrative that I've seen is that uh, the, the, the men of the NBA and in particular, the women of the WNBA changed two elections, forced mm -hmm. a racist white owner out uh, with the Atlanta dream and yep. You can't tell me that if 144 women can do that, that the NFL players can't do that. All right, let's get to the rapid fire. Are there better conversations in a locker room or in a barber shop? Locker room. Would you rather play one on one with Kobe, MJ, or Obama? Obama. <laughs> oh, I love it. Best college arena you ever played in? Cameron Indoor. Oh my God. I wish I had time to tell you the story about Cameron Indoor. Uh, it's a fascinating story. I basically broke in because it was my only chance <laughs> to go in during Christmas time. It was yeah. the whole campus was closed. Yeah, yeah. I went to the final door around the entire building and you know better than me, right? It, it yeah. looks like a normal building next yes, to the rec center. Building. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't know it. Right. So I broke in and I went in there for 30 minutes and it, all it had was the floodlight from the top, the old school floodlight, the emergency yeah. light shining down on the D in the middle of the court. And I sat there for a half an hour and I literally didn't move sitting in the, in the seats on the other side from the bleachers where the students are. Yeah. It was just, I just took it all in and it was just, I'm looking like I'm scared out of my mind. I feel like I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> but man, it was a fascinating time to, to yeah. go in there and just look at it and be there and realize the history yeah. of it. Oh my God. It was, yeah, I can't imagine. Did you, uh, did you guys lose that game? Hell yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who 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 did you play? Who was on that team for them? Jay Williams. Oh uh, shit. Carlo Boozer, Dunley. Wow. Oh you my know, God. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were stacked. Man, I'll, I'll say they were stacked. Wow, those but the fans are so like funny too, right? Like they yeah, do I mean, all I mean, kinds I mean, of funny shit. Yo, that was the hardest part. We had a guy on our team who wore high socks. Al Fox, right? <laughs> Al Fox wore the high socks and he kept his money in his sock. And somebody said, hey, Fox, what is that, a pack of cigarettes you got in your sock? Like, 
Yo, it was hilarious. They heckled him. And, and, you know, Al is a tough dude. You know, you talk about a kid from South Central LA. So it didn't bother him all that much. But know. man, I, I I had a good laugh. <laughs> uh, that place was funny, man. And then too, it's a very small place. You've been there, right? So you, it's a very small place. Like Cracker Jack box. Yeah. yeah. And it's very intimate. And you like, are they really going to get that rowdy in here when you're warming up? And then all of a sudden the doors open up and then shit like shaking. Big, yo, that shit is like <laughs> flooding in, right? But people coming in, out it feels like out of the walls. It's like people showing up from everywhere. So it's pretty Oh my God, stuff. that's classic. Favorite TV show growing up? Batman. Wow. Jay-Z or Eminem? Jay. Snoop Dogg or Tupac? Pac. How did music influence you when you were growing up? Like, did, did oh. oh man, um, you know, I, I was I was big on uh, for those of you for those of you listening and not watching. Uh, Randy closed his eyes and just like thought he had a he had a flashback to when he was a kid. <laughs> Yo, listen, man, R and B is a huge part of, and and I'm talking about the original rhythm and blues like the muddy waters of the wow. world or my great aunts yeah, yeah very all that kind of stuff man like we my that picnics and family events and going over people's that stuff was pumping in the background like nobody's wow. business so i had a really really good education in basketball my dad was actually a oh my god oh lord my my, my dad was actually a rapper too he was a police rapper <laughs> Hey, you got that you got some of that audio somewhere yeah oh you can god. look it up online randy Holcomb senior man you, you <laughs> oh my god i, gotta I check could, that I, out. I, I wish i was lying but this shit was <laughs> this shit was awful man like i can't even i had a very <laughs> you talking about getting picked on at, at six foot six oh, in, in high school like my dad was like really full-on like rapping about police violence and all the wow yeah like it was yeah i i'm telling you bro i like public enemy him and public enemy god facts right he was that was he was in that same vein of public enemy wow and uh but they were just three cops who put together this rap group and they ended up going on to create the show new york undercover right that's how we got wow so yeah, I've, I'm telling you, I've lived a lot, a lot of life, man. I've I've seen a lot of things from a, from every perspective, man. Man, that's fascinating. Because uh, Jahidi came on and talked about how he felt like he could go all over the world in his own neighborhood with music. Yeah, 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 yeah. Easy work, man. Run yeah. DMC or Rock him? Rock him. Woo, underrated, man. Yeah, extremely. KRS One or Rock him? Oh, <laughs> man, dude, like that might be a push, bro. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take Rock him again. I'm going to take yeah. Rock him again. Wow, that's great. Kobe or Larry? If I'm being honest, Larry. Mm. If I'm being honest, Larry. Wow. How did Kobe's death affect you? Man, you know what? It was so profound. I wasn't really a Kobe Bryant fan um, um, until I met him in person. And um, I got a chance to talk to him. And... Um, I was I was so against um, I was against him because of the situation that happened with him and Shaq. Yeah. He lost me when he you know um, for, kind of forced Shaq out of the off of the yeah. Lakers. Um, but in talking to him, man, there was nobody that was. He's the best one-on-one basketball player that the game has ever seen. If you if, if we're just talking pure one-on-one. Right dissecting the game, how to break a person down, what to look for, when to look for it, how to get a shot. 
Better than MJ and Harden? I would say, I would say that uh, better than MJ. And I think that Harden is probably the best offensive, complete offensive basketball player that I've ever seen. Pass, shoot, pass, dribble, right? I think he's the, I think he's the absolute best. But I think if you give the ball to Kobe and say score, I think that he does that better than anybody else. Fascinating. Favorite movie of all time? Batman. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wow. Yo, listen, that's a, listen. Bruce Wayne is my favorite character. I can't even lie to you. Bruce Wayne is like my favorite person. Like if there, Bruce Wayne is his own character for me. I could I could watch Batman and just look at the scenes with Bruce Wayne. Right. That was who I wanted to. That's that's who I'm still aspiring to be. That's there. crazy. <laughs> waffles, pancakes, or French toast? Pancakes or French toast? Um, waffles. Have <laughs> you been to Waffle House? I have. I have. And the only, I haven't been to too many that were very good. But All right, a, a little greasy, right? Yeah, yeah right. There's, but there's a place <laughs> in LA, if I could do a shameless plug, there's a place in LA called Blue Jam. You know what I mean? That's Ooh. really good. Yeah, oh, I'm going to have to check that out when I go there. Yeah, Blue check Jam. Check it out. Yeah, Interesting. check it out. So uh, what food makes you dance at a family reunion? Oh, man. It's probably the same food that makes me sick. Um, fried, <laughs> fried chicken. <laughs> fried oh, chicken. interesting. Yeah, uh, Dr. Pepper or root beer? Root beer. Mm. Root beer. Best mama joke. Your mama's so fat she can't reach her back pocket. Your mama's so fat when she sat on a dollar bill and got up there was four quarters. Your mom's so fat when she goes camping the bears hide their food. Your mama's so fat she jumped in the air and got stuck. Your mama's so fat. Uh, when she goes camping, you know, bears <laughs> hide their food. I think that, that that was the first time I ever heard that shit. That's your first time. Uh, wait, MJ or LeBron? Um, dang, that's tough. Um, what's it going to take for LeBron to get over the hump? Another ring? It's a whole new crew? I don't think that he can. Um, I don't think that in the, in the eyes of the world. I think that LeBron, um, uh, I think that LeBron is going to have to win a championship and probably be the all-time leading scorer. Um, to you mean ahead of Kareem? I don't think – I think Kareem is the best player to ever play. Right? Right. I, don't even, I don't even think that's close, right? Yeah. Especially for the time, what he was going through from uh, being a black black man, changing oh, his name, yeah. all, the, all the religious aspects, trying to figure out who you are in the world as a seven-foot-two dude. You know, you know, I just think he's just better wow, than me. So. Would you take Steph Curry or James Harden if you were choosing a team first? James Harden. Wow. Where's Steph Curry in your in your uh, top 10 of all He's time? Not. He's, He's not, not in your top 10. He's in, in your top, top 20? Top, top 25. 25. Mm-hmm. Man, he was something last night. AI hey, or Steve Nash? Shoot. Uh, Steve Nash. Toughest player you ever played against? Kevin Garnett. He, uh, his, uh, agent was on our show, uh, his marketing agent, Dan Bruton, uh, yeah. and Dan had Garnett, Jordan, Kobe, Gretzky, Marino, uh, and Ken Griffey Jr. All under the same umbrella back in the early two thousands. It's, it's an unheard of, uh, Jesus. with upper deck. And really? so it's fascinating. Yeah. The stories he told on our show was, was unbelievable, but he said, you know, the reason I brought it up was Kevin, he said, Kevin Garnett went to a shoe store for a signing mm-hmm. and he was only supposed to stay 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. He stayed like four hours. Cause he said, look at all these kids out here. I can't leave. He just talked about how he's the best guy he's ever worked with. Right, right, right. KG is hey, K, now KG is a good dude and he, he pays homage, 
solid cat, right? But he is a motherfucker to play against, boy. I'm talking <laughs> about that is a mean motherfucker to play yeah, against. Yeah, he is a beast. He punched I, me right in my stomach, man. <laughs> oh, shit. He punched me in the stomach on a, on a, somebody was coming off of a double, a stagger. Yeah. And he was setting the stagger, the second stagger. He just turned around and just cold, just punched me in the stomach, man. Oh, I fell down. The dude <laughs> oh, my God. Because oh, I was supposed to show on the end of the screen, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, he yeah. yeah. Uh, he punched me in my damn stomach, man. I went down. I was like, oh, this dirty motherfucker. <laughs> I could not believe it. He was like, you good, young fella? Yeah, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that's really what happened, man. But, but again, like a solid dude. That's class. A couple more. Um, your thoughts on Kyrie? Unfortunate. I'll, I'll, unfortunate. I think that what he stands for, um, I think is, uh, I think is bigger than him. If if we're saying that he needs to be vaccinated, then that means that everybody that comes into the arena needs to be to be vaccinated, right? Facts. Um, if we're not if and if we're still not feeling that we're safe, then we should not be having these events. The event is not important. People's lives are. So if you're saying that there's a ton of people that are in New York that are, you know, that was the epicenter for the pandemic, then you guys need not do these events. And we, and cause the money's in TV any fucking way. Right. So let's just watch it on TV. Right. Well said. Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart or Chris Rock? David Chappelle. Uh, Derek Coleman said that he has his back. You feel the same way? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. The, the, the goalposts just uh, moved. With, yeah. with comedians yeah i mean listen you, nobody had a problem you know there are certain groups out there that are not looking for balance they're looking for revenge they don't give they just don't care you know and, and some of them have been downtrodden so much but some of these people are just looking for revenge and if you're looking for revenge then i'm out right yeah, out. yeah. if you're looking for fairness then cool and th this is a guy who has made jokes about Black people, Mexican people, Puerto Rican people, white people, black right. people, gay people, straight people. You Absolutely. know, he's and it's been and he's been masterful at it, right? So masterful. Yeah. Uh <clears throat> Michael Cage or Bill Lambeer? Bill Lambeer. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Paul Bill Pierce or Kawhi? Kawhi. Reggie Miller or R Russell Westbrook? Oh man. Um <laughs> Russ. I'll say Russ. What do you love watching in the NBA right now? As a player or as a team? Player. Um, I'm a big fan of Joel Embiid. I love Joel Embiid's game. Um, I'm a big fan of his. Um, Your thoughts about Ben Simmons' situation? I think Ben is. Uh, I think Ben is going about this the wrong way. Yeah. I really do believe that he's going about this the wrong way. I also think that the organization is going about it the wrong way too, right? I think that both parties uh, need to take their egos out of it. And um, I think that the best place for him to play and be successful is the team that he's currently on. They have a chance to win a championship. You don't and, think he should move on like Stafford and Goff did in football, new scenery? I think that that would be nice, but how do you, from a business perspective, how do you pull that deal off? He's in the, he's in the, the second year of a max deal. Right. Yeah. So that means that you would have to take on a shitload of players that you would end up cutting and paying. Right. right. I know about I know all about that. You know what I mean? And uh, you got to pay them just for him to be happy. The, I think the if he really wanted out, I think that he can go to the PA 
and say, let's void the contract. And then he can go find a deal on his own. Right. I think he, and he can go find another deal with another team. But if you, if you don't want to void the contract, then you kind of, you, you know, you've ruined your worth with your play at the very end. And then what you're doing now. And it's a lose, lose all around. Doc made some comments he shouldn't have made last year. Like it's just, just it's all just bad. all bad. Right. It's all bad. If you but, get a five, but, yeah. But if they were to come together, I think they he could. Win. Yeah, of course, of course. He's been a little hard headed too. He, he you yep. know, just just work on your jump shot. Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, if you could have any five people at your dinner table of all time ever, who would be at your dinner table? Who would be at my dinner table all time? Um, sports or non sports? It could be anybody. Sports or non-sports. I would say that uh, uh, I would probably start with um, Barack Obama, um, uh, Marcus Garvey. Wow. I would probably say... Um, uh, Any queens? I would probably say... Um, dang. Um, from There's so many... Uh, women that I would have loved to have met. Uh, Dorothy Dandridge being one. Hmm. Goodness. Marilyn Monroe would have been another. Wow. Interesting. And then the last would probably be um, Mansa Musa. Mansa Musa, the, the, African, uh, the African billionaire. Uh, wow. So, yeah. Interesting. Man, it's been uh, it's been truly an honor to share space with you. I, I had no idea where we were going with it. Like uh, any, any last uh, promotions or or plugs that you want to talk about uh, before we let you go? No, man. Uh, just thanks for having me, man. I, you yeah. Know, anybody that needs anything that's sporting goods related, please yeah. uh, check out Alfred's house. Um, we supply balls and bags to teams and high schools. You do embroidery and all that stuff? Like all of that stuff. Everything. Wow. So can they, can they do it online? Can they like, uh, absolutely. Online? You can go oh, to wow. alfredshouse.com. There's a corporate form that you can fill out if you need anything uh, in particular. Uh, we'll make sure to reach out to you um other than that man i'm just so happy and thankful that you had me on your show yeah it's awesome in five years where where, where will you be close to a billionaire in the south of france with a um owning a club team right owning a, oh. owning a, a, a football the the soccer a soccer team and a basketball team in the south wow. of you speak french i will then <laughs> on that note man I'll, I'll i'll stay in touch we'll see you on clubhouse i'll definitely stay, see you around and if you have any uh uh ideas about people to come on and and chop it up about these important issues uh i'm just trying to do my part uh let me know i'll have you come back and co-host because i think you'd be a phenomenal uh, oh, co-host man, come back man yeah for dope. sure Thank anything you. i can do to, to help on your end let me know and that's what we're about we'll do we'll do all right all right much love much respect man We'll talk right, soon. All, All right, right, Rand. All right. Yep. Peace. Right. Man, that was an amazing conversation. Uh, if you stayed with us uh, for the entire time, uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, had some very strong opinions um, about a number of issues, in particular, Ben Simmons, Kyrie. Um, took Larry Bird over Kobe, even though Kobe is the best one-on-one -on -one player he said that he's ever seen. Um, if you want to send us an email, feel free to do so to thesportsdeli at gmail.com and uh, check us out on TikTok and Instagram at Mike Hootner. We'd love for you to, to support us there. Talk a lot about these issues on um, both of those platforms. 
Um, and so uh, until next time for Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoop. Black Lives Matter, stop the Asian hate, stop the bullying, contact your local politicians with regards to people that are in jail for crimes they didn't commit or for other types of issues that you feel like uh, need to be changed at the local level, obviously at the state level. Uh, people in jail for nonviolent offenses uh, and the disproportionate number of people of color uh, for crimes that they did not commit. Uh, and if they did commit the crimes, if they're nonviolent offenses, uh, we're a proponent of uh, rehabbing uh, 100%. So uh, thanks for the support. Uh, feel free to share the podcast with others. You can uh, like it. You can review it. Um, you can support it if you feel like supporting it uh, one time or every month. And um, uh, those funds are used to go back into the show 100%. So until next time, remember, it takes a village. Much love. Speak up and dribble. <laughs>